Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Sports fans are going to have a hard time taking this seriously until the players start taking it seriously. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Hey, Minnesota United FC takes on Dallas this Saturday, and you can catch the game right here. Pre-match coverage starts at 6.30, kickoff 7 o'clock on 1500 ESPN. Gentlemen. Thank you, Dave. Oh, thank you, Dave. We were just explaining the BASF concept on the show to Derek, who probably didn't grow up watching the we don't make a lot of the products you buy better, we make a lot of the products you, or whatever. We don't make a lot of the products you buy, we make a lot of the products you buy better. (laughs) Once again, I'm I'm being mocked by a guy that can't remember why I'm being mocked. (laughs) Well, and this is why you need to frequently come over the top rope, Judd, and explain to Phil what the joke is. Although, Derek, you did have the best line when you basically just said, (laughs) I'm not a frequent listener to your show. You go, yeah, I will. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's the frequent gag. You know, it's it's the bit we keep going to. You know, like all the time on the show. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, that's, no, that's amazing for sure. <laughs> uh, so the twins are two and zero instead of zero and nine, which is a better thing than what happened last year. You know what I said to Judd off the bat? At the very least, they've given us relevant baseball up until tax day, which they which <laughs> yeah. they didn't do last year, and that's very exciting. What's the running joke, right? It's just get us to Viking strength. Get us to yes. Mankato, boys. Now it's get us to tax day. They, they, okay. Mm-hmm. No, they might get us to Mankato. Who knows? What's the most? There's not much you can glean in two games. and I, We should talk about Buxton maybe when we have a longer segment here after 11 o'clock. But um, of things that you've seen the first couple games, things that have at least piqued your interest on the positive side. Well, uh, the pitching, because that was the biggest question mark to me coming into the season. You knew Irvin Santana was kind of going to be Irvin Santana, although I'm not expecting him to have as good of a year as he had last year. So where does he settle in? And then question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Well, one of those question marks came through yesterday. I thought Hector Santiago actually pitched pretty well, especially early on. He was missing bats with basically every pitch, and that's a good sign if you're the Twins. If you can get a couple good starting performances each turn through the rotation, frankly, sounds like low expectations, but that's more than I had expected. Um, so that's one thing on the positive, and then Jason Castro has also made his impact felt pretty early. I think he had a uh, two-RBI single in the opener, and he, he drew four walks yesterday. Both starting pitchers talked about his impact there. In fact, I was talking with Santiago after his start yesterday. I said, it didn't seem like you really shook him off very often. He said, oh, you must have missed one because I did shake him off, and I gave up a screaming base hit. You know, and I funny. Ju- I'm not shaking him off anymore. Judd, you remember what Santiago said about that exact topic? Yes. In, I think it was in spring training. He shook him off twice, and both were like RBI double <laughs> off the wall. And Which, he said, I'm not going to shake him off anymore. Like, he did. Probably coincidental, right? Like a, a yeah. little bit. You're like, no, I know what pitch I want to throw, and then either you didn't execute it, it wasn't where you wanted it, or... You know, base hits just happen. But it is funny, anecdotally, that he decided, no, I don't like the pitch that you called, and then headed the other direction. So those are those are two screaming positives that I don't think that I necessarily expected sure. in the first week of the season. But it's good for the Twins that they've happened. So two games in, it's, it's so small. But 16 walks in two games, I understand the Royals' bullpen has been a dumpster fire so far, too, in fairness. Uh, but is this going to be a different approach, a more patient at-bats? I mean, you, you're you now going to be able to see why, I guess, uh, a lot of teams' games drag out because at-bats are so long. But nonetheless, if you are going to generate a large portion or at least a substantial por- portion of your offense from walks, 
that's not a bad thing. So are we seeing a little bit of change in philosophy as far as approach to at-bats and being more patient? Yes, we've seen more of the pr productivity, but no, I don't think you're seeing an overall philosophy change. I think it's just the simple fact. In fact, Mulder was asked about this this morning, and he said, I can't take any credit for guys taking these good at-bats in, say, the seventh inning, bases loaded, and Robbie Grossman draws a tough walk to get a rally started. That's – it's not a – an organization-wide philosophy, but one reason you're going to see more of that this year is because some of the young hitters that they're really counting on, this is what I wrote about for yesterday, about you can't just diminish expectations for everybody. You can't just say, well, Bucks will come around when he comes around. Well, Kepler, you need some of these guys to be real big contributors. And so how do you balance that if you're the Twins? When you're a young hitter and you get overwhelmed by the moment because you haven't really experienced in the big leagues anyways these moments where... It's all on you, bud. This is a critical plate appearance, in, and and we need something out of you here. Once you start to get a little more comfortable with that feeling, and Molitor talks about it a lot, the game starts to slow down. Once you have that, those plate appearances become more natural. You start having better at-bats, late-in games, tight situations, and I think we're already seeing that in the first week from most of the hitters. Well, let's talk more about Byron Buxton on the other side of this quick break here. Derek Wetmore is hanging out with us from 1500ESPN.com, the Touch em All podcast. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. One in particular has stood the test of time for many uninspiring and overrated performances. Mackey and Judd. Everybody, please join me in giving a totally undeserved round of applause, will you? On 1500 ESPN. Driven to right center field. High and deep. Orlando chasing it. High off the wall. It'll empty the bases. Sano second he'll try for third and he's in with a bases clearing triple a lot of good things the first two games for the twins at target field uh, they didn't win a series against the royals last year so they checked that off their 2017 bucket list win a series against the kansas city royals Derek wetmore is hanging out with us from 1500espn.com and the touch em all podcast one thing that's been a bit of a buzzkill even though it hasn't really affected them negatively as a, as a team yet, and he's been great defensively. Byron Buxton, it's not just the one for ten and the one being a ground ball that barely made it past the pitcher's mound, and that's the one hit. It's the way he's looked in the six strikeouts. It's falling behind in counts 0-2 time after time. and uh, I just don't think you go from, even as a 23-year-old, a 35% career strikeout rate in a small sample of like 500 plate appearances to being a contact guy. So is this a red flag these first two games for you, Derek Wetmore, or is it just we need to pump the brakes and let this thing play out over the course of a few weeks before we can say, well, he's the same guy he was at the, yeah. at the beginning of last season and September was crappy pitchers and here we go again. You are going to hate this answer, but it's both. It is both, hey, too early. Let's not Let's not say his major league career is over because he can't hit breaking pitches in the first two days of the season. But but it's concerning that change-ups, whether they're in the middle of the zone, up, or they're really good change-ups. He faced a couple really good change-ups uh, opening day against uh, Duffy. And all right, fine. A lot of people would swing and miss over the top of that or be out in front or imbalanced, just have a bad pitch recognition. But when you're swinging and missing through basically every change-up and breaking ball and you look like you walk up there, you blink, and it's 0-2, that's tough to deal with if you're the Twins, especially not just because it's 
he's Byron Buxton, he's got the prospect hype, and they've pinned so much of their hopes on him, not just for that reason, but they're batting him third. That means they expect an awful lot out of the kid this season, and whether he's just overamped or or what, or whether it's bad habits that are trickling back in from the middle of last summer, I don't know what the answer is, but it's both, hey, be patient, let's not write him off, and yet... There should be some bells going on. You should be seeing there are a couple of really underli- concerning underlying factors for why Buxton has struggled the first two games. So do you, um, I don't know, go through a couple weeks here or a week of him batting third? I mean, his defense his defense is so darn good take it. That, that you're going to almost take the, take the lack of success at the plate based on the fact that in center he gets everything. That being said, though, if you are this uh, front office and Molly, do you bat him third for a week, for two weeks, and then drop him because well, he's too good not to play? I think you in the gotta. Field. I think you have to give him the runway because if after two or three bad games you say, "All right, well, well that's what I'm saying," skip that. You're how hit, long you're do you put nine. up with this? Well, the question is, how much would it affect his ego, his confidence, if you do bump him down? I'm not saying you have to be in the business of coddling people, but if you come into the season saying you're our three hitter, you are one of the most important people in the franchise, and then you have a bad week, and they say. All right, well, never mind what we said last week, because actually we think you're just kind of an extra guy. I don't think you can really say that to Buxton. So they're in a tough spot of having to balance that patience with those expectations. It's what I wrote about yesterday um, on 1500ASPN.com. I know you don't read it, Judd, but that's okay. I didn't read it. If you want to check out the front page of the website today, I wrote about it, and I asked Mueller that same question. How do you balance asking these young guys to do a whole heck of a lot. And he's like, if this is going to be on 1500ESPN.com, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to answer that question. Because <laughs> Olga's not going to read yeah, it. I plead, exactly. I plead the fifth. <laughs> no, he, he had a good answer. He said that you have conversations with these guys. You talk about, you're here for a reason. You know, you, you, you we think highly of you. That's why we want you hitting third. You, when, no matter what you tell a guy, hey, don't read into where you are in the lineup. Just don't think about that. Just approach your at-bats. Get your five at bats a day and just like feel good about it. That's not even if you say that. That's not going to happen. A guy sees his name written third in the lineup card and thinks, "Oh, geez, well now I got some expectations on me." So it's going to be a tricky dance for Molitor for sure, uh, especially if Buxton continues to struggle so badly. I like that they empowered him in that way. I like that they said your September and your spring training and the power you've shown and the ability to hit the ball hard to left field and all these things. You know what? This lineup isn't full of Anthony Rizzo's. You're going to bat third. And they probably didn't say this to him, but third's not the most important spot in the newer constructs of batting orders. Number, number one and number two. Real so, backhanded compliment. Right. Like, Byron. Hey, we're devaluing the third spot in the <laughs> right. order, which is why we're putting you there. No, for, for them, I'm sure they told him, you're going to bat third, right. and you're going to own this and embrace it. Byron, you're the three-hitter, but statistically speaking, it's only like the fourth or fifth most important right. spot of the batting <laughs> order. <laughs> True, though. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Can't tell him that. It, it is good to see, because Miguel Sano last year took a step back, which isn't that uncommon. If you look at a lot of players who became who blossomed. A lot of times it's that sophomore slump that's sort of cliched, but pitchers catch up to you. They figure out where you swing and miss. They figure out where maybe you're least patient. And so for the first two games, to see him hit a ball that far to opposite field that almost went out over the giant scoreboard and to hit a ball that almost blew a hole through the left field panels in target field, um, he looks like he's ready for a huge season. And as Judd said, he looks like he's a little bit more slimmed down. He's playing some first base, as we saw yesterday. So if he can become multi-positional, not including right field, and if he can get back to 
hitting for a bunch of power and opposite field in these things, and maybe the average starts to climb if he's making more contact. Miguel Sano, great reason to be optimistic the first two games. His defense, too. You talk about his bat a lot because I think that's where he has a real potential to be special. But he's made the plays that you'd expect him to make. Now, the one exception to that was opening day. They had him kind of shifted. He was playing basically where his shortstop would be. Mm -hmm. It was a lefty pull hit. I don't remember if it was... Uh, might have been Hosmer or something like that, but they had Sano shifted over to where the shortstop was. He had to come running in on a ball from a position he's not used to, and he booted that one. Now they scored it as a base hit, but it's a misplay in my book. And that's the thing that I'm watching more, because I agree with everything you said, Phil. I think Miguel Sano is primed to have an excellent offensive season. I think he's probably the most important hitter on the Twins, even though they still have guys like Brian Dozier, Joe Maurer, things that maybe you'd expect more out of because they're veterans, but Miguel Sano is the guy for me offensively. My biggest question is, how's he going to play in the field? I just was thrilled I, yesterday I when it I was nine was to one in the ninth, and and, and all you ball guys are looking yeah, down, yeah. thinking this game's done. Congratulations! And then they came on the press box PA and they announced the defensive changes. Yeah. Not surprisingly, Chris Jimenez in the game, but he's at third base. So who's at first base? Miguel Sano. Yeah, That's when Wetmore said to himself. That bleeping Zolgad, he's sort of old he's, school. He's but, done it again. But he's done it again. He's found another reason to be optimistic it, about why wow. he knows so much about baseball wow. because Miguel Sano eventually projects out yeah. to be it a It is true. Base. You We're are the only person in the world who suggested that he may <laughs> play first base. All I know is, all I, know is I, got really a lot of, of I got a lot of pushback from the guy in the We're, pink sweater right now. Yeah. We're really proud of Telling you, me about why it, did, why it didn't make sense. We're so proud. Wait, you, you said it doesn't make sense for him no, to play first no. base at he's all? No, he's putting an argument in my mouth and arguing against it. Funny that Judd might try to do that on and his it, radio and show. it says that I'm the one who yeah. does it. I, I would <laughs> like if you respect the fact that I just brought something up that I found to be completely true. We did. Oh, we argued a little bit. We went back and forth over the winter about, I want to see the Twins play Miguel Sano at third base. Every day he's in the lineup. Unless he's nursing some kind of injury and you can put him at DH, I want 2017 to be the year they find out definitively is Miguel Sano a third baseman? So I thought it was interesting, and I knew I was going to be getting a text or an email from Judd when I see the Twins put their backup catcher at third base in favor. You know, well, they go to Jimenez instead of Sano, and Sano moves across the diamond. That was interesting to he, me. Here's something that makes sense strategically, okay? Joe Maurer is a decent defensive first baseman. I think if he had become a first baseman in his prime when he was like 25 or 26, you're looking at maybe a couple gold gloves. Maybe not Doug Minkiewicz-level defense, but Joe Maurer at age 33 or 34, nah, he's fine defensively. Not nearly the hitter that Miguel Sano is. Are there going to be instances where, not just in 9-1 to games, but maybe in a game where you have a one-run lead late, eighth inning, and you move Miguel Sano to first base and put like Danny Santana at third or, or Eduardo Escobar at third to shore up the left side of your defense to preserve a one-run lead late? I could see Maurer getting subbed out Keep Sano's bat in the lineup in case the game gets tied because you'd rather have his bat in the lineup yeah. in the 10th or 11th inning than Joe Maurer. Not to get too geeky, but you've got to just kind of do the calculus on, okay, Joe Maurer defense plus Joe Maurer bat plus Miguel Sano defense plus Miguel Sano bat. Well, Sano's a better overall player, period. No, I'm saying you take that combination of those two players and then you compare it against Eduardo Escobar glove plus Eduardo Escobar bat, and you, know, you kind of have to go through these different lineup construction, and I'm not saying that there's an easy answer. If they thought that Eduardo Escobar is a better third baseman than Miguel Sano, 
if they think Chris Jimenez is a better third baseman than, than Miguel Sano, that's a bad sign. That just flat yeah, out, it's well, a no, bad sign for I the Twins. I disagree with that. It's, Eduardo Escobar is one of their best defensive players. No, he's not. No, you he's disagree not. with that? Yes. Eduardo Escobar. You think Eduardo Escobar is a better third baseman or infielder than Miguel Sano? Wait, or, which or, side or, are you taking? I'm sorry, the other way around. You think that Sano's a better defensive player than Eduardo Escobar? I think at third base he could be. I think Eduardo Escobar is so untrustworthy. Otherwise, he'd Sano be a shortstop right now. I know, last I know, year, I know. For God's sake. He has to fix that, for sure. So it's like projecting things forward. But the way that I look at Eduardo Escobar, he's kind of like bricks for hands with the glove, but pretty good pop and can play three different infield uh, positions. I don't think that if he was this utility glove guy, yeah. well, you know, why would they go get yeah, A-Ray Adrianza? Why wouldn't he play more? He made at shortstop yesterday. That was an absurd got, play from left field. But, but, but you guys are both fixating on the wrong thing right now. That's the, that's the short term of go. what to do. They oh, want this. This is, this, is all, tell tell us. this is all. Judge is going to tell us. You should fixate on what, what you guys consistently talk about in the world of baseball, which is the big picture of things. Mm-hmm. That's what they have. That They feel, and, and they're right, they have the luxury right now of picking situations and saying, in this yeah. situation, it makes sense. Now, you know what? In two or three years, if you consider your team to be a pennant contender, then that luxury changes and things morph and, and aren't the same. But right now, they have a complete and utter luxury of having sat down and said, if we get in this situation, it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. to do this. Hmm. They are looking at big picture here. So if you two would stop with your short-term views of sports <laughs> and let me explain to you what's going on, it makes more sense. But here's the reality, okay? This is, and, and I, I agree, big picture is more important than, I mean, you just don't have, even if you stay hot and above 500 for a while, you don't have the horses to compete in the postseason unless you trade for them or whatever. This division's bad. The Royals' bullpen is not the same Royals' bullpen. Yeah. The, the Detroit Tigers, especially with J.D. Martinez out, they're not going to be a playoff contending team unless they get really healthy really quick, and fix the back end of that rotation. The White Sox are rebuilding. They gave up. You could, and you're playing those teams 60 times this year. Yeah. So you could pretty easily finish 500 or above, and you're already 2-0 and against those teams, against the crappy fellow opponents in the American League Central, and stay around 500 for a long time. And so then the stuff we're talking about matters if you're around 500, and you're trying to find little extra margins to hold a one-run lead with a non-elite bullpen, things like mm-hmm. that. So. Yeah, there's a lot of things to learn about the Twins this year. And if they keep this up, and if they're you know relevant uh, in June into July or something like that, yeah. these conversations become different. But right now, I sort of have the two, three-year view in mind with trying to figure out where guys will play, where what what level will Buxton seek, all of these kinds of things. Yeah, which is what they're Derek, fascinating to Derek me for. Thad and Judd think about. That's right. Long-term view of Derek things. Falvey, Thad Levine, Judd Solgat. Yes, that's we're all, right. we're all on the same page, and yeah. that's fantastic. <laughs> Make sure. All right. <laughs> Let's come back. There's already Irvin Santana trade rumors swirling around. Let's get to one of them when we come back here. And Roy Smalley will join in about 15 minutes live downtown Minneapolis. It's Mackie and Judd with Derek Wetmore. Hey guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades. And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. 
The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. You earned it. On 1500 ESPN. Welcome back, Mackie and Judd. Downtown Minneapolis. We are in the Fishbowl broadcast booth here in the Skyway, right next to Target Center, just down the hallway from Target Field, where the Twins take on the Royals, looking for a sweep in about 45 minutes from now. And earlier this week, or maybe it was late last, no, it was, it was I think it was after Urban Santana's Monday start. I know you put this up, Derek, on 1500ESPN.com. But Nick Cafardo, who is uh, a, a very good national baseball reporter from the Boston Globe, had this to say about Irvin Santana and the trade market. The 33-year-old is seen as perhaps the most viable trade deadline pickup on the market. He's the one guy out there who could be a sure thing in the middle of the rotation. Teams like Boston, Toronto, Baltimore, they need that guy. An American League assistant GM tells Nick Cafardo. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So is there any scenario in which if Santana keeps pitching well that you guys would hang on to him throughout the 2017 season? Well, I mean, every trade conversation to me starts with, where are the Twins? Like, if the Twins, like you mentioned in the last segment, Phil, that the Central's so down, if the Twins are hanging around 500, and that to me is wild card contention, uh, pretty tough sell to the fan base and to the clubhouse to say, all right, good job getting this far, but I don't think we're going to win a World Series, so bye-bye ace, bye-bye second baseman, you know, you... you <laughs> It's it's hard to sell the fire sale unless you're really down in the stands. I mean, they already sent Byung-Ho Park packing back to Rochester and, and made those same people a little bit unhappy on a smaller scale. I think the sole answer to the question becomes this, what can they get? I think these guys probably have a determination. I mean, they they wanted to trade Dozier under the right circumstances for the right package. They didn't get it back. So if they're a 500 team in July... I mean, if things are going as well as they possibly can mm -hmm. for this club, and someone calls on Santana and blows them away, hmm. I think they make the trade. Yeah, that's and same possible. with Dozier. And now, now odds are good that 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 what they want back won't be enough. But I really think it's far more going to be determined by what the return would be than what the record is on a certain date. Do you? Uh, let's take this up a level here, Judd. I know you're a fan of doing that. The reason that Irvin Santana, because I'm a no, thinker, Judd lives on that level. Because I'm a thinker. Let's you and I join Judd. Right, yeah, let's let's take a. Now step the penthouse is nice, boys. When it comes to <laughs> baseball thinking, when it comes to sports takes. Yep. So the way I think about Irvin Santana, and I read that Cafardo column with some some great interest because I wrote about that over the winter as. Irvin Santana being a guy who I would look to move if I was the Twins. There was some thought that it might have made sense to do it at last year's trade deadline. Um, he's got two years, $28 million, once you include a buyout for 2019, which, by the way, could be an option. So maybe there's three years left on the contract. Um, that is remains to be seen. But the, the reason that Santana is, in Cafardo's view and this AL Scouts view too, a viable trade option is because they're projecting forward that the Twins are going to be bad, so sellers. The White Sox are already sellers, and Jose Quintana is probably the best pitcher that anyone would be willing to trade right now. If you're the White Sox and you really want to energize that rebuild, you already traded Chris Sale, you already traded Adam Eaton, you've got a bevy of prospects. If you trade Jose Quintana, you're getting even more firepower to add to that, and the White Sox are going to be a scary team in a couple of years. Quintana's probably, not not probably, Quintana's a better pitcher than Irvin Santana, but the cost 
is probably going to be more. So then, if you're a contender and you don't want to give up the farm, well, you look around, well, who else is available? Who would cost me kind of a fringe prospect? Irvin Santana, to me, is on that list. I don't think you're getting a top-five prospect for this guy because the other team's going to have to pay market value for Santana over the next two years. It's not like you're getting some huge bargain. Well, two te- if you're the Twins, and a lot of this is... You've got to find different avenues to get better, younger players. It's it's pretty unlikely that a 34-year-old Irvin Santana is going to play a huge role for you beyond this year or next year, and you're trying to build this thing for the long run so that you have sustainable success beyond 2017. Well, Cleveland was doing that multiple years ago when they were trading guys like Cliff Lee and Jake Westbrook, and the Chicago Cubs, we, te- we keep talking about the Chicago Cubs rebuild, even though they had a jetpack strapped to them in Theo Epstein and a jetpack strapped to them in just more money that they can spend on free agents. Yeah. But the principles are the same. And I found four veteran pitcher trades just with those two teams in the last, like, six to eight years. And then the return that they got for those pitchers. And you don't – and, and you'll, th- you'll hear some of these pitcher names, and now these guys are studs. But at the time they acquired some of these pitchers, they weren't necessarily – the team's best prospect at the time of the trade. The Indians in 2010 traded Jake Westbrook, post-Tommy John surgery Mm -hmm. Jake Westbrook, who had a decent season going but was just like rotation filler for whoever. I think it was was a three-way deal with the Cardinals who got Jake Westbrook Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the Padres. And Corey Kluber is the guy that the Indians got in return. Uh, Cleveland, it might have been the year before that, traded Cliff Lee, for Carlos Carrasco, who wasn't, I mean, he was a good pitching prospect, but Cleveland really helped develop Carlos Carrasco. How about Chicago, who traded at the time solid veteran starter, a little older at the time than Irvin Santana is now, Ryan Dempster, for Kyle Hendricks, mm-hmm. who started World Series games for yeah. them and led the National League in ERA last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago also traded Scott Feldman, who was just a rent a pitcher oh, like yes. four years ago, yes. for Jake yeah. Arietta. I was in Baltimore at the time. So yeah. none yeah. of these guys, like at the time, Hendricks, Arietta, Carrasco, Kluber, none of them were necessarily great, highly touted prospects. But if you think that you can plug a guy like that who has potential, Jake Arietta, whoever it is, into your new process and outcomes a number two or a number one starter then you should be trading Irvin Santana if you feel like that lottery ticket is a pretty high percentage. And that's just it. Lottery ticket is the operative word. Because I'd argue, I mean, Jake Arrieta's a great pitcher, but I'd argue they probably got some, some luck involved in that. I think if the other 29 teams agreed Jake Arrieta was going to turn into Jake Arrieta, yep. that Feldman trade never happens. Like, did you, obviously, did you right? cover him in Baltimore when you were there? Arrieta? Yeah. Only briefly. I mean, okay. he was kind of on the Norfolk shuttle, as he, they call he it. He started the, uh, AAA. opening day against the Twins, right? He did, yeah. For the O's? Against Carl Pavone. Yeah. I think the, the the interesting thing about this entire conversation, too, when it comes to uh, trading players like Santana or Dozier is there's also now a behind-the-scenes process going on where it's become a high-stakes game as well. And so you are – I mean, it used to be, hey, this, this pitching prospect, it seemed like trades were based on, on this. Executives took their, their prospect rankings, and they'd go to a team and say, we want your one and three. And as fans, you sort of knew that, right? Now it's based on a lot more work and behind the scenes and philosophies that we don't know about. And so we look at trades lots of times and be like, okay, I've, I have, haven't heard of that guy. Or you look at his stats and they're okay, not great. But privately, they're ve- teams are very pleased. So the art of the deal has changed massively from the old days, which is, which is a certain publication had this guy one and this mm-hmm. guy five, and you got them both, and that's right. great. Yep. Well, so it's really an altered 
uh, state now of how trades are made. I think a lot of teams have started to value prospects more, too. They've seen the Rays build to competitiveness. They've seen the A's do it on a shoestring budget. They've seen teams just kind of load up on prospects. The Royals, probably the most recent example, that say, all right, well, great farm system and crappy major league team. No longer are you looking at that as a laughing stock. You're looking at that as a sleeping giant, like what the the Dodgers kind of have that right now. Um, even though they have a great major league team, their farm system's unbelievable. I mean, the Dodgers are going to be a scary team. The Cubs too. The White Sox are going to get into that bidding. They're a bad major league team right now, but with a great farm system, a number of those guys are just going to hit. Some of the prospects will bust. That's how prospects work. But if you have enough lottery tickets, you're going to win the lottery in Major League Baseball. And so to your point, Judd, teams are not only valuing prospects more, but the second level of that, too, is they might be valuing certain traits. They might say, right. hey, this pitching prospect, while he doesn't have a great ERA, mm-hmm. he's got excellent control. He can do exactly what he wants with the ball, and it just so happens his fastball is only 89. Well, what's the percentage chance he becomes a good big league starter? Well, I don't know. But if one team values that a little bit more than another team, that's where teams are trading now. Hey, the Twins we've val- valued that for a long time. That's right. Nine and control. Control, yeah, exactly. It's like all your Kevin Slowies. Well, and then the, the, you could argue that the pendulum has maybe swung too far in the other direction. They just say, oh, we'll take a, gar- a guy who can throw hard. He can, if you can throw at 99, we'll take you. I don't care if you can throw a strike. And some teams value that more than other teams. Sometimes those guys work out and they learn control. Other times, you remember the name as a trivia question, like later. Who was that guy that hit triple digits and then never made it to the big leagues again? It just depends what systems value. And I think if you're the Twins, you'd be smart to know what other teams are valuing and figure out which guys you can trade to those teams to maximize their value that way. That guy's name is Jim Hoey, by the way. (laughs) Or uh, Juan Murillo, I think, was also a trivia answer. Yep. Uh, You can find Derek's stuff on 1500ESPN.com, and we have all kinds of content on our social media channels, too. Facebook.com slash 1500ESPN, our Twitter page, and the Touch Em All podcast which uh, you can find us talking about lineup construction and Joe Maurer, Byron Buxton, and some of the new ways the Twins are evaluating hitting, too. That's on the episode from this week. So nerdy. So nerdy. It was one of our episode. nerdiest episodes, For sure. man. We, we geeked you got to think hard. big, like I do. Big picture, boys. <laughs> it's the start, only way to think when I'm it comes take to baseball. notes for the rest the of the show. the only way to think when it comes to this sport. <laughs> so if you're operating on in the penthouse, penthouse with yeah. your sports takes, it's then gorgeous. our next guest is operating from where? Helicopter. Hopefully a helicopter above the <laughs> he's, he's, he's hovering above me. <laughs> Roy and I'd like Smalley. him to stop. Roy Smalley will join us next on Mackie and Judd from downtown Minneapolis.